0: Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining. We have a lot to get to in this episode. First of all, we have five undervalued companies in an overvalued market. We know that the market is expensive right now. Things are competitive. There's a lot of investors looking for deals. And I think that I have found five companies that offer really good value right now. And I plan on explaining why in this episode. Now we also have some news to get to. Microsoft is in talks to buy Discord, the chat application, the community chat application, Discord for more than $10 billion. Now, my first impression is that I think that this deal is likely to happen because Microsoft has been looking for acquisitions. They were in talks to buy TikTok at one point. I think that Discord fits into Microsoft's product suite a lot better than the other things they were looking at buying. So I think this is likely to happen. I'll give my opinion on whether this is a good thing or bad thing for Discord. I am an avid Discord user. I'm on it all the time, every single day because we have a community for this YouTube channel that has about 1,500 active members. So I'll let you know my thoughts on Microsoft buying Discord. And then we have another news item. This one is very unfortunate, very sad. The CEO of Texas Roadhouse, Kent Taylor, has taken his own life. And it's it's an unfortunate scenario. He had COVID. He had some post-COVID symptoms. Uh, He became very obviously depressed and he's taken his own life. And I've had this news item sent to me a few dozen times of people asking me what I think about this because Texas Roadhouse is one of the companies. Just a couple months ago, I bought into it. I was very excited about it. So I plan on explaining what I plan on doing with the holding, if anything, my thoughts on this news altogether. We'll be going over it a little bit later in the episode. And then last but not least, I'm going to be responding to criticisms I received in the previous episode I did. So the episode was titled, The Insanity of Ark Invest." $3,000 Tesla price target. I criticized ARK Invest analysis on Tesla. I thought it was wildly optimistic. I think it's unlikely for Tesla to justifiably reach that price target in 2025. Now, a lot of people left good comments saying why I'm wrong. They had their case for Tesla and why it's going to reach $3,000 price target. I plan on responding to those comments in this episode. So, we have a fun show to get to. If you like this type of content, make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and then if you want to bring your membership to the next level, you can check out the Patreon. It unlocks a lot of exclusive content, a Discord community a dividend tracker, spreadsheets, research, all sorts of different things. So you can try that out if it's something you're interested in. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into the five undervalued companies that I found in the market. I wanna go over why we're looking for undervalued companies. This isn't a time in the market where everything is cheap and you can just pick and choose what companies you wanna buy and you're getting a good deal on all of them. That may have been the case four or five years ago. It's not right now. On a backwards looking past 12 month PE ratio of the S&P 500, it's trading at a 40, a 40 backwards looking PE ratio. There's only two other times in in the last 30 or 40 years where it's been anywhere close to that high. Now, of course, we had a pandemic in 2020 that hurt the earnings of a lot of companies that normally have good earnings. But even if we look at a forward-looking PE ratio over the next 12 months, where analysts assume that these companies will recover and they'll make good earnings, the PE ratio of the S&P 500 is still 26 on a forward-looking basis, which is still very expensive. There's only a couple times where it's been that high in the past 30 to 40 years. So whether we're looking at a forward PE ratio or a backwards, Things are expensive. The S&P 500 is expensive no matter which way you look at it. Now, when things are expensive like this, we want to buy companies that offer a margin of safety, meaning they're trading at lower valuations compared to their future profits. And the way that we do this is we look for companies that have either been overlooked by investors, there's not a lot of enthusiasm with them, or they're companies where investors aren't accurately pricing in the growth that they're going to have. The first company that I want to outline is one that I think fits in that overlooked category. It's AT&T. I think that AT&T is an overlooked stock. Investors aren't buying it because it's boring. It's a telecom. The management made very poor decisions five or 10 years ago. And so they don't want anything to do with it. All the hype is with the growth stocks, the Airbnbs, the Teslas. It's not with companies like AT&T. And what that does when investors sell out of boring companies like AT&T for exciting companies and all these different alternative companies is it brings down the price of AT&T until it hits a point where it's actually really good value. Right now, AT&T is trading at a 9.5 PE ratio. Keep in mind that the S&P 500 on average is trading at a forward PE of 26 and at and is trading at a nine. So the valuation is very low for this company. Investors do not have high expectations priced into it. And then we can look at the direction of the company. Is the management of AT&T currently making the same mistakes that they made in the past? Not really. In fact, AT&T is selling their stake in DirecTV to other companies so that they can get billions of dollars in cash and use that to strengthen their balance sheet and pay off debt more aggressively. This is a really good move by AT&T. They're selling off non-core assets to be able to strengthen their balance sheet, to be able to reduce their debt load. And then while they're doing that, they have a growth story. They're projecting that HBO Max will hit 120 to 150 million subscribers by 2025. Now, keep in mind that the price target is a lot higher for HBO Max. So even though these numbers aren't as impressive as Disney or Netflix, 120 to 150 million subscribers of a streaming service that costs $15 a month is a lot of income. That's a lot to add to AT&T's balance sheet. And I think that by the end of this year, in just 2021, I think they'll hit around 50 million subscribers. So not only are they not a stagnant company, but now they have aspects of their company that's a growth story. And then one of the biggest reasons that people buy AT&T, especially dividend investors looking for businesses with high amounts of free cash flow and a high yield is because they currently offer a 6.75% yield almost a 7% yield. Now the question is, is whether or not this yield is sustainable. Can they continue to pay out this dividend while running their business. John Stanky, who is the CEO of AT&T and has one of the lowest voices I've ever heard, was asked this very question just a week ago on CNBC. Are they able to continue paying the dividend at the current rate? And are they able to grow their business while supporting this dividend? Well, look, we you missed one number there. That's $26 billion of free cash flow this year. And we generate a lot of cash. And yes, it is a large balance sheet. And we have more debt on it right now than we'll have in a couple of years, but we also generate a tremendous amount of cash flow in this business, numbers that others are aspiring to get to. And as a result of that, we feel really comfortable because over the course of this year with cash flow and in the next year, we'll largely take care of that and, and be back on our march to delevering. So he's basically saying that investors don't have to worry about the dividend. That AT&T can afford the dividend while supporting the growth of the company. And then he also mentions that they're going to continue their march of delevering. Delevering meaning that they're going to reduce debt of the company. This is exactly what I want to see from AT&T. I want to see continued growth of HBO Max, and I want to see reduced debt. And it looks like AT&T is currently doing both of those. So while AT&T may not be the most exciting company, it's not a high frills company. It's trading at such a low valuation. 9 PE ratio during a time where the rest of the market on average is at a 26 means that this company has a certain margin of safety that other companies that are highly inflated really don't have. So I'm buying more and more of this company. Currently, it makes up about 5% of my overall portfolio. The number two undervalued company we'll be looking at is Facebook. Facebook's not a company I talk about too often because it's not a dividend payer. I don't have it in my portfolio, but I believe that Facebook is undervalued. This is an undervalued company. Consider the fact that Facebook right now is trading at a 25.9 PE ratio meaning that Facebook is trading at a lower multiple than the rest of the S&P 500 on average. But Facebook's revenue growth has been consistently strong, growing at 20 to 30% year over year every single year, and they're expected to do the same next year. Well, you might be asking, why is a company as good as Facebook? a dominant social media company that has multiple businesses, all growing very rapidly. The company makes a fortune in both revenue growth and in profits, and it continues to grow 20 to 30% year over year. Why is this company so cheap right now? Well, I think I know the answer. I think it's this guy right here. The fact is that an interconnected ecosystem of companies and data brokers, of purveyors of fake news and peddlers of division, of trackers and hucksters just looking to make a quick buck, is more present in our lives than it has ever been. He's talking in part about Facebook there. Purveyors of fake news? Facebook's one of the platforms that fake news gets spread on. It's a social media platform. Hucksters wanting to make a quick buck selling your data? He's talking about Facebook there. Facebook and Apple have been at war with each other for the past three months over issues on how to advertise, how to use people's data. The two companies have very different business models, and Apple has done some things that have really scared Facebook shareholders. And it has never been so clear how it degrades our fundamental right to privacy first and our social fabric by consequence. As I've said before, if we accept as normal and unavoidable that everything in our lives can be aggregated in soul, then we lose so much more than data. We lose the freedom to be human. We don't want things in our lives to be aggregated and sold. Well, that's the business of Facebook. Facebook can form accurate pictures and profiles of the people that use their platforms because they have a lot of data and a lot of information about you. And since they know a lot about you, they know what to advertise to you. So when advertisers sign up with Facebook, it's very effective. Advertisers can pay a small amount of money to make their ads meet the right people. Well, Apple has an issue with this. And they're doing some restrictions that may hurt Facebook's business. In a new update to iOS that's going to be out soon, iOS 14, Apple's making some huge changes to privacy on their platform. They're making it so companies like Facebook have to actually get permission from the user before they can track you from app to app or from app to website. And that's a big problem for Facebook because they estimate that 80% of people when they're prompted of whether they should allow Facebook to track them or not are going to say no. 80% are going to say no. So Facebook can only track 20% of their users. Now, of course, Facebook has not appreciated the criticisms or these new restrictions from Apple. They don't appreciate it. Mark Zuckerberg has been very upset at Apple originally, but now he's actually saying that this might actually put Facebook in a stronger position, that what Apple's doing might inadvertently help out Facebook more than hurt them. His reasoning for this is simple. Although these changes might hurt Facebook, they'll probably hurt other businesses even more, causing them to come onto Facebook to advertise. He says, quote, It's possible that we may even be in a stronger position if Apple's changes encourage more businesses to conduct more commerce on our platform by making it harder for them to use their data in order to find the customers that would want to use their products outside of our platforms. So he's saying that it might be harder for them even more than it is for Facebook, causing more business to come to Facebook. So in my opinion, I agree with Mark Zuckerberg on this. I think that the effects of these changes from Apple are being too heavily discounted by investors. They're assuming it's going to do way more damage than it's actually going to do. I suspect that Facebook will continue to grow its revenue at pace. And I think that this is a company that should be trading well above the market average. Now, in number three of undervalued companies, we have Lumen Technologies, ticker symbol LUMN. This company is formerly known as CenturyLink. So most of you will recognize it as CenturyLink. It's not an exciting company. These cable internet companies are not exciting and a lot of investors sold out of it and it got oversold to the point where it was trading below an 8 PE ratio, it had a market cap of $10 billion. So even though the company hasn't been really flourishing, its revenue is kind of flat its profitability is questionable, the company was oversold and none other than Michael Burry bought into this company three months ago. And since then, like a lot of the companies he buys into, it's gone up in value dramatically. It went up 36% since the time that he purchased it. And even after that huge rise over the past three months, the company is still trading at a discount according to most analysts. Morningstar, for instance, says it's trading at a 24% discount. So I'm not personally going to be buying Lumen Technologies. This is not one that's going to be in my portfolio. I've instead gone with AT&T. And it's unclear right now whether or not Michael Burry is still invested in the company. He could have sold out of his position. But it has been one that's given a really good performance so far this year. It's up 38% year to date. And there's a lot of people that will argue that it's still heavily undervalued. So I think it is one to consider. The number four most undervalued company we'll be looking at today is in my portfolio. It's in the energy sector. It's Dominion Energy. This is the company that created a lot of pessimism about them by selling off a large portion of their business to Warren Buffett. And a lot of investors thought that Warren Buffett got the better end of that deal. So they sold out of Dominion Energy, which brought the price down quite a bit to a point where I thought it was a buying opportunity. It was undervalued. So I've been buying more and more into Dominion Energy because now they are a pure play clean energy company that should have very reliable revenue growth over the next five years, and they should be able to steadily increase their dividend. This is a company that again, it's not the most exciting company. Utility companies provide stable dividends over long periods of time, and they have some capital appreciation, but it's not gonna be one that does anything exciting. This is just gonna be another free cash flow company in my portfolio providing me that dividend every three months. The number five most undervalued company in the market, in my opinion, is Google. This is a company that's not in my passive income account because they don't pay a dividend, but this company I believe is undervalued based off of all the various ways it's growing. They have Google AdSense, which is one of the biggest advertising networks in the world. More advertising dollars are gonna be spent on that in the future than today. It's gonna only grow bigger. They have YouTube, which is the dominant video sharing platform in the world, growing rapidly. The growth of YouTube is accelerating. Then of course they have Google Cloud with all the various products that people use, and they have Android, which is a duop, with Apple. Google is one of the most dominant companies in the world with high amounts of free cash flow, high amounts of growth, and they have way more money than they know what to do with. So this is a growth monster and it's trading at a 29 PE ratio, which is just above the market average. So in my opinion, I think that Google deserves a much higher ratio than it's being given right now. And I think that in the future, five or six years down the road, I think the $2,000 a share that Google's trading at right now will seem very cheap in hindsight. So this is a company I'm very bullish. On, and I think that currently it's undervalued. So there you have it. Five undervalued companies and what I think is an overvalued market. Now, moving on, I want to jump into some big news. And the big headline of the week is that Microsoft is in talks to buy Discord for more than $10 billion. This is from Bloomberg. They say Discord has been talking to potential buyers and software giant Microsoft is in the running, but no deal is imminent. They say that Discord is more likely to go public than to sell itself. One person said, representatives for Microsoft and Discord declined to comment. Um, this is all kind of rumored by by people that are familiar with these talks. But in my opinion, I think it makes sense for Microsoft to buy Discord. I think it would actually integrate well with, with Microsoft and their current product suite. I think it would be a much better match than something like TikTok. So in terms of Microsoft benefit, I think that Discord would benefit Microsoft Greatly. I think it would integrate well with them. But in my opinion, as somebody that's an avid user of Discord, that I'm on every single day with my community and people from the Patreon, I don't want Microsoft to buy Discord. I don't want Facebook to buy Discord. I want Discord to go public and be their own company. I much rather have that outcome because I know if this happens and Microsoft buys Discord or Facebook does, whatever big tech company does, they will see it as a value add to their overall ecosystem and they'll start to integrate everything together and it will change the feeling of Discord. It'll change that unique feeling of having it be its own place for communities to grow that isn't attached to anything else. It's not integrated with your Facebook. It's not integrated with the Microsoft suite. They're not trying to join it with Teams or anything else. It's just its own thing and I like having it that way. So although this makes sense, and it would be good for Microsoft shareholders. In my opinion, even as a Microsoft shareholder, I'm rooting for Discord to go public themselves and start building out their own product suites themselves. I think that'd be better for the users of Discord. I think it would lead to a better Discord overall. Now, moving on, I want to quickly respond to this story that I've been sent at least a few dozen times by viewers. So this is a tragic story. The Texas Roadhouse CEO and founder, Kent Taylor, has taken his own life. The reporting was because of post-COVID symptom, specifically severe tinnitus, which tinnitus is ringing in the ears. So if you have a ringing sensation in your ears, that can be considered tinnitus. And it says here from the family, quote, Kent battled and fought hard like the former track champion that he was, but the suffering that greatly intensified in recent days became unbearable. So apparently he had tinnitus so bad and so severe that it became unbearable and he ended up taking his life because of that. Now, this is tragic, obviously. Uh, Everything I've read about Kent Taylor is that he was a phenomenal person. He was very charitable. He didn't take a salary or any compensation in 2020 because his business was going through a challenge. He also, after realizing that he had tinnitus, ended up donating a lot of money and helping fund studies for people suffering with tinnitus, specifically military members. So everything I've read about him is super positive. My condolences to his family and everybody involved in that. Now, the question of whether or not I'm going to sell out of Texas Roadhouse as a result of this... The answer is no, I'm not going to be selling out of it. So I plan on keeping Texas Roadhouse. In fact, once they reinstate the dividend, which I think they'll do in the future, when the the company's outlook becomes more sure, I plan on increasing my stake in this company. So even though this was very tragic news to hear, it doesn't change my outlook on Texas Roadhouse. Okay, now the last thing I want to do is respond to some comments and criticism I got from my previous episode. So these are all comments on the previous episode where I said that the ARK Invest price target for Tesla, saying that it will get to $3,000 a share by 2025, I think is is unrealistic and I think it's widely optimistic and I think that it's unlikely to have Tesla go to that market cap in a justifiable way by their numbers. I don't think that it will happen. Now, I have a lot of people that they say I'm wrong. They have their different arguments. I'm going to look over some of them here. The first one is from Gregory. He says, first off, I love your show and content. Keep up the great work. Secondly, I am a Tesla shareholder, and I believe in the long-term profitability of and their ability to execute on their goals. Third, I agree that the ARC model is quite aggressive, but not as completely crazy as some suggest. For Tesla to come even close to that market cap within five years means they'll have to exponentially improve their full self-driving via AI and what they refer to as Project Dojo. They'll also need public regulators and public perception to play nicely. However, it's worth noting that I don't model insurance as a sizable impact, but I'm confident the taxi network will be highly profitable in the next decade. I also believe that Tesla has already grown to be an excellent manufacturer. That alone is driving margins far higher than many believe feasible and is demonstrating Tesla's ability to scale production into multiple gigafactories, all of which is dramatically underappreciated in my opinion. Lastly, the arc model didn't include the energy side of the business, which includes solar, their advancements in battery tech and manufacturing, their app store-like revenue from in-car entertainment, or their ability to monetize their AI expertise. Having said that, I don't see anything coming together as quickly as they do, but I plan on holding my shares for a minimum of 10 years. Okay, well, first of all, Gregory, I appreciate you being a viewer and enjoying the show and the content. And I hope that you enjoy many episodes in the future. Now, before I go and jump into the points that you make and respond to them one by one, I first wanna make a broad point that's even broader than just your comment. This is something that I saw many people point out is they act like I am a Tesla bear, that I'm bearish on Tesla and I'm one of the doubters of Tesla. That's not the case. I'm not a Tesla bear. I'm not bearish on the company. I think that Tesla's going to grow very well over the next five to 10 years. I think it's a fantastic company with an amazing product, with a charismatic and brilliant leader. So I'm not bearish on Tesla just because I don't agree with Kathy Wood's extremely aggressive price targets on it. That's the point that I'm making. I'm somewhere in between being optimistic about Tesla and where Kathy Wood is. I think that she's beyond optimism to the point where, it's almost unrealistic. I think that it's highly unlikely for her outcome to come to fruition. Now, I'm not the only one that is trying to pare down expectations. If we look at a tweet here, from Kathy Wood just a couple days ago. She says, Oh, yes, I forgot to mention how scarce exponential growth opportunities are likely to become as artificial intelligence creates more winner take most opportunities like autonomous taxi networks. So, this is Kathy Wood being so bullish on Tesla. And then Elon Musk himself responds to Kathy Woods paring down her expectations, throwing a little cold water on it, saying, when vast amounts of manufacturing are needed, as in robo-taxis, this slows down the rate of introduction. So maybe more like winner takes a quarter. Still great. So is Elon Musk a bear on Tesla? Because he doesn't fully agree with the enthusiasm of Kathy Wood? No, he's not a bear on his company. He's just trying to pare down expectations, saying this isn't winner take most, it's winner take like a quarter. Still great. So I'm not the only one that's actually been critical of Kathy Wood's analysis on Tesla. Elon Musk seems to not fully agree with her very optimistic outlook on it. So that's the first point I make. I'm not bearish on Tesla. I think the company's great. I think it will have a great future. But that's not going to stop me for pointing out where I see, in my opinion, overly optimistic analysis. Now, let's go ahead and jump into your comment and respond to things one by one. You say, I am a Tesla shareholder and I believe in the long term profitability and ability to execute on their goals. Okay, so let's go through some of those things that they have to execute on um, that you list out yourself, Gregor. You say, Third, I agree that the ARC model is quite aggressive. Yes, I agree with that. It is very aggressive, but not as completely as crazy as some suggest. Okay, for Tesla to come. Even as close to the market cap within five years means they'll have to exponentially improve their their FSD, which is full self-driving. So that's one requirement that Tesla has to do within five years. Improve dramatically, you even say exponentially, full self-driving. So they're not there yet with full self-driving. They can do assisted driving, but it's still... A little wishy-washy. There's still some cases where they crash and things aren't perfect, but they have to improve that exponentially to get to the point where they have full self-driving. Via AI, which they refer to as Project Dojo, they'll also need regulators and public perception to play nicely. So now we have three requirements that have to happen. They need to improve full self-driving. They need to have regulators accept the full self-driving in every single state. And then they need public perception to play nicely. Do you see already the list of requirements building up for Tesla to reach this market cap? They need to have full self-driving. That's one of them. They need to have regulators play nicely. That's another big hurdle. And then they need to have public perception play nicely as well. So they have three big hurdles they have to go over there. Possible, right? It's not impossible for that to happen, but it's just a lot of things that have to happen very quickly. You say, however, it's worth noting that I don't model the insurance as a sizable impact. So... You're saying that the insurance portion isn't that big of a deal now the reason in the previous episode i spent so much time highlighting the insurance aspect was to highlight that i don't think the quality of research done on that was high quality i thought that they left out a lot of potential issues with their modeling of the insurance company growth and if that's the case if you can't trust their insurance modeling how do you trust it with the other aspects If they're not doing good analysis on modeling their insurance business growth, how are they doing good analysis on the other aspects of their growth? So that's the reason that I pointed out the insurance growth. You say, but I am confident the RoboTaxi network will be highly profitable in the next decade. Well, Kathy Wood did not say the next decade. She said in 2025. We're in the middle of 2021. So she's talking about maybe four and a half years. Four and a half years to 10 years is a very big difference. So that's a little bit of a difference there. If she said in 2030 Tesla's going to be to a 3 trillion dollar market cap, well I think that gives a lot more time for these type of predictions to play out. You say I also believe that Tesla has already grown to be an excellent manufacturer. That alone is driving margins far higher than many believe feasible and is demonstrating Tesla's ability to scale production into multiple gigafactories. That's true. I think that Tesla is a pretty amazing manufacturer, and they're going to have a lot of big facilities. Like I said, I'm not bearish on Tesla. I think it's going to be a big company, but there's a difference between being a big company and in four and a half years being a $3 trillion company. That is, these are leaps of magnitude bigger. So uh, I do think that Tesla will have higher margins. I think it'll be a profitable company, but I don't see it... I don't see the connection between this and being $3 trillion. We're still a long ways away from that unless we have that highly profitable robo-taxi network. You say. lastly, the ARC model didn't include their energy side of their business, which includes solar, and their advancement into battery tech and manufacturing. I think the reason that ARK Invest didn't include these portions of their business is because it's not really enough to move the needle to justify a $3 trillion market cap. For instance, you look at the energy side of the business. What if Tesla becomes a very big solar company? Well, look at the biggest solar companies in the world. They're not even worth $100 billion, right? $100 billion is not a lot when you're talking about a $3 trillion market cap. You can even look at the biggest clean energy utility company that produces a ton of energy, which is NextEra Energy. They're a massive company and their market cap is currently $144 billion. That's barely enough to move the needle when you're talking about energy in a $3 trillion market cap. So maybe Tesla can grow this portion of their business and have their energy business be a meaningful portion of their market cap, but I can't imagine it overpassing every single utility company, every solar company, and it would even have to overpass some uh, oil companies like Exxon and Chevron. To justify a meaningful portion of that $3 trillion. So I think that's the reason that ARK Invest left out the energy portion, is there's just not enough growth there to be able to justify a meaningful portion of their market cap. Now, you bring up the app store-like revenues and car entertainment. I think that will be a way that they can monetize. Um, I don't know how much they can really gain from that, but that will be a way that they make money. Their ability to monetize their AI expertise... Again, that's another way they can make money. A little bit of an unknown. How are they going to monetize their AI? We don't really know that yet. And then you say, having said all that, I don't see everything coming together as quickly as they do, but I plan on holding my shares for a minimum of 10 years. Gregor, you're pretty much in agreement with me. You're saying you don't see it coming together as quickly as they do. That's all I'm saying. I think that these things can happen. Tesla can be a massive company in the future, but to have all these stars align of having a huge robo-taxi network, having full self-driving, have all the regulations and everything in place, and Tesla taking the biggest winner-takes-all market share, it's just a lot of things that need to line up correctly for this company to grow to that size. Now, market caps in and of themselves can do whatever they want. Bitcoin that has a $2 trillion market cap doesn't produce anything. So I'm not saying that Tesla can't hit that market cap within five years, but I think hitting it in a justifiable way where they have better numbers than Apple, better profits and operating margins and growth than Apple at that size, I think is unlikely. That's all I'm saying with it. But I'm not trying to talk people out of investing in Tesla. I'm not saying that sell your Tesla shares. I think that they have a bright future, but like you... I think that it might take a little bit longer than these expectations. Now, in another comment, Andy says, the market is a future discounting mechanism. Tesla doesn't need to reach these numbers in order for the company to be worth that valuation. They just need to show that they will have it soon through growth and market share, and the market will pay for that continued growth through its valuation, well before reaching the numbers that would make it justifiable without similar levels of growth. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's very possible. Now, Andy, you're saying that Tesla doesn't need to reach these numbers in order for the company to be worth that valuation. Okay, that might be true, but that's not what ARK Invest is saying. ARK Invest gives very specific numbers with their analysis. For instance, for their bull case for 2025, they think that the electric vehicle revenue of Tesla will be $367 billion. $367 billion. And then they think that the autonomous ride-hailing network, the robo-taxis, will be another $327 billion. So Tesla will have nearly $700 billion of revenue in 2025. Not to mention they they say things like the gross margins of the electric vehicles will be 25%. That's over double the industry standard right now. They say the total gross margin will be 50%. The total EBITDA margin will be 30% and so on and so forth. ARK Invest is giving out specific numbers to justify this market cap. They're not just saying that Tesla's going to be bid up to a $3 trillion market cap, they're giving specific numbers to go along with it. And I think, again, that these are highly aggressive predictions with many variables moving in the future that I think are very uncertain. So in my mind, I think it's just a little bit less certain than ARK Invest gives the impression of. Saying that the bear case is $1,500 or less and that the standard case is $3,000 a share and that the bull case is $4,000 a share, I think is extremely aggressive. So we'll see what happens. Only the future can tell. Only time will tell how this plays out. And I hope that I'm wrong on this. I hope that Tesla really does grow into this company that ARK Invest views it as five years from now. I think that would be incredible to see. So that's my thoughts on it. I hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. I think it's a little bit more interesting to have some level of disagreement than everybody just universally not questioning anything with these type of analysis so hopefully this was fun if you guys want to join in the conversation even more you can check out the patreon and discord gives you access to that whole community it's been a lot of fun so far other than that i'll see you guys in the next episode